picking up at verse 7 today, but I'm going to read from the beginning of the chapter again. The book of Ephesians has been given lots of labels by lots of commentators and lots of writers, but one of them that, that I would pick up on today is the charter of Christ's church. The book of Ephesians lays out God's purpose for the church of Christ. Who are we? What are we here to do? I've talked about the mission of God in previous weeks. I've talked about the body of Christ. That we can come back to some more of that today. So as we go to Ephesians 4, the charter of Christ's church, what are we here for? What are we here to accomplish? Well, the glory of God through the gospel, isn't it? The glory of Jesus, the honour of Jesus by, by the spread of his name, his word. By the increase of his kingdom, the quantity and quality of Christians carrying his name. That's our strapline for the lighthouse, isn't it? Let's go back to the verse 1. Let's start there again, Ephesians 4. I'm not going to give you the background of one, chapters 1 to 3. I did that last week. It's on the notes if you want to cap. It's a bit long, but helpful. Um, kind of backtrack over the first three chapters. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. This is you all. It's not written to some leading elder. It's written to the whole body. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit in the, with the peace that binds us. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you're called to one hope at your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. So what follows now is a further application of our walking worthy of our calling, keeping the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace, our being one body together in Christ. Now grace was given, notice these words, to each one of us. According to the measure of the Messiah's gift, for it says when he ascended on high, we sang about that earlier, didn't we? He ascended on high, you know, lifted up. When he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity and he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he personally gave some, this is Christ, to be apostles. Some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the training of the saints in the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques or methods of deceit, but speaking the truth in love. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. So let me give you a one-word title for this morning's preach. 
I'm not very good at titles sometimes. Sometimes my script, my t heading is just that scripture, Ephesians 1, 5 to 4 to 6 or something. But I've got a one-word title today. It's ministry. And I want you to notice straight away, it doesn't say the ministry. It just says ministry. Service is another way of translating that rather old-fashioned word. Service. Now we're going to work through from verse 7 again, bit by bit. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Messiah's gift, for it says when he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity, and he gave gifts to people. Now I need to talk about if verse 8 and 9, then we'll come back to verse 7. Set the context in 8 and 9. The quotation, therefore, it says, is from Psalm 68 verse 18 where David prophesies that the Messiah would ascend to heaven having taken captivity captive which is a more memorable phrase from the King James and some people say that's the devil but actually the picture here is of a conqueror leading the people that he's won the people that he's defeated who are now his and who are going to serve him really whether they like it or not right he leads his captives captive and Guess who we were? We were captives of sin, but we're now captives of Christ. It's him who leads us in his triumph, to quote Corinthians. Jesus is captured for himself, and he now gives gifts to men, the things, the spoils of his victory. He's giving away the spoils of his victory, just like a conquering Roman emperor. What does... He ascended me and accepted he descended to the lower parts of the earth. Now that is not a reference to hell, it just means here. Earth is, earth is, if you like, quite a long distance below heaven. We're the lower parts in the earth. The one who ascended is also the, descended is the one who ascended far above all things, far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Jesus fulfilled the prophecy. He descended from heaven to the lower parts of the earth. You know, Philippians 2, I was tempted to go there, talks about him, you know, these degrees of his, humili of his humility and dissension. His lowest point was, of course, dying in agony on the cross at Golgotha, but he's now risen from the tomb. He's ascended again far above all the heavens and fills all things by his person, his authority, his kingdom. Jesus himself spoke of his ascending to heaven. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven the Son of Man. He descended from heaven. He's going there again. He's gone there again. So applying that prophetic scripture, the Messiah has come. He's taken us captive to himself. So we are now his servants, his slaves. He's giving gifts to men. Okay. Look at what Paul says in verse 7. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Messiah's gift. Now, grace has been given to us. That's not thinking about that more or less. It's just different and various, different measures of grace for different purposes. This is not about saving grace. It's grace in terms of gifting for service. You see, we're not all the same. We differ from one another. Because God has made and gifted us that way. God's plan is not uniformity. We all think the same, do the same, sing the same, like the same food, like the same music. It's unity in diversity. A people who are very different and yet are united in him, serving the same God with the same mission. That's God's wisdom. You know, 
one of the kinds of music I, I like all kinds of music really, but well, not quite all kinds of music. <laughs> you, can keep, you can keep country and western, it's not my thing. Someone's going to play some to irritate me sometimes. Though, I, guess. I, I quite like classical music. Uh, if I'm in the car on my own, Classic FM goes on. That's what I, all Radio 4 News, but Classic FM usually. And there is nothing for me quite as amazing in its own way as hearing an orchestra play, playing live. The music just washes over you and, I, and my eyes are darting around. What's he doing? Wow, look at that one. You know? And then there's the conductor kind of conducting it all. But if I went to a concert and there were only violins, I'd think... Mm. <laughs> or just the woodwind. Boop, 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 boop. Think, where's, where's the rest? Where's the rest? The music needs all of those instrumentalists and the skill of the conductor. And then it's amazing. Amazing. We have gifts that differ from one another, but that is God's purposeful, purposeful design. It's not a ground for us being envious and, and, and marking us ourselves against, oh, he's got more, I've got this, oh, I don't like. That's childishness. We don't evaluate ourselves against other people because we've got, they've got, he's got, she's got. Grace to serve, to minister. I don't like that word that much, but I'm going to use it quite a bit this morning because I need to make the point. Has been given to who? To each one of us. To each one of us. But in different proportions for different purposes with different skills, different roles. We are equal in value in Christ, but different in role. That's the wisdom of God. God gives different gifts to different people that all may serve and be served in love. There's mutuality. I need other people. I need to serve other people. There are three main, main lists of gifts in the investment, and all of these are about serving, how we do what we do, how we help other people, how we fulfill our sense of calling and mission under God and through the church. In Romans 12, there are gifts of God the Father. And those are chiefly about character and skill. You're made that way. You know, you can't be unmade. You know, I can't... I can't I cannot but think like a preacher. It's just kind of wired in my skull. You know, I think I, I, things have the same letters and all the rest of it. And, you, know, I, I'm, you know, I'm doing the garden, taking a shower. I'm still thinking, meditating on Scripture. It's just, it's just I'm wired that way. I was like that about other things before I was a Christian. Science, really. The minute I became Christian, my, my head was full of Bible. God made me that way. And there are things that God has made you to be. To be an encourager, to be a, to be a, to be a manager, to be a, to be someone who can administrate things or whatever else. There's a list there in Romans 12. Read the list. Not, I haven't got time this morning. 1 Corinthians 12 are gifts of the Holy Spirit. What did you do? What did I do there? Sorry, Lord. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. And listen, it says very clearly that he gives each gift individually as he wills. So you don't have the gift of whatever. He gives you a gift and you give it away. You use it at that moment, all right? And you, 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 because you can't, do, you can't turn them on by your own volition. He gives them sovereignly, all right? So you can get used to using a particular gift and develop a regular routine, if you like, a way of serving, of being used in that gift. But the, you, you need the Holy Spirit to give you the gift. 
you won't have a word of wisdom for somebody until God gives you a word of wisdom for somebody. Yeah. Right. A revelation. You don't, you, you don't walk around, oh, I've got another one, I've got another one. You know? He gives them to you when they're needed. Because someone needs them, or a, or a group of people, a church need them. All right? So the gifts of, gifts of the Holy Spirit, Mark Corinthians 12. I've got notes on that if you want to follow me on that. And ask me, I'll give you some notes. Ephesians 4, this list here, these five labels, are different kinds of leadership that the Lord Jesus gives to his church. And therefore, not everybody gets in, not get, is in this list. He gives how many? Some. We're not all in this list. Sorry, folks, if that was your ambition. I love the way that the king did, that the king did, that the Coleman Standard puts this one. He personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. And the scripture here doesn't say those people receive the gift of apostleship or prophesying or evangelism. It says here, it literally says, Jesus gives the person as the gift. He gives this one to be an apostle. He gives that one to be a prophet. He gives the people who are the gift. Gifts from Christ to his church are these people, these kinds of leadership. They're embodied in somebody. They're not a gift. Oh, you know, the guy's walking around and suddenly he's given the gift of apostleship. It doesn't, no. That's not what it says. Christ gives him as an apostle to his church. Let me outline what those different kinds of leadership or ministry look like. And, and these are used to call the ministry gifts of Ephesians 4.11. But I want to say, no, no, no. These are gifts of leadership. And we'll see why God gives them in a minute or two. Firstly, most of our English Bibles maintain an old tradition of not actually translating the first three labels, but giving approximate English letters to Greek letters. Something we inherited from uh, Catholicism. You know, the bits of the Bible were too dangerous to put into the common tongue because people might understand them. Apostles, Greek word apostolos, is they are pioneers, foundation layers, church planters and builders, leadership mentors. The Greek word there means someone sent as a messenger or agent. They're sent out. So apostles are sent out into new territory to plant and build the church or to complete more work of building the church. There were more apostles in New Testament times than the twelve. Barnabas was an apostle to the Gentiles as well as Paul. In fact, when they were first sent out, the Holy Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas came first at that point. Saul grew as he worked. The debate was still running when I was a young man about whether the Lord still raises up apostles today. But I think the debate's finished now because clearly he does. And many churches are quite quite happy to recognize people as being apostolic. And what are a lot of missionaries except that they're apostolic? Aren't they planting churches and raising disciples and training leaders? Hmm? Right. Prophets, prophetes, are men of the Spirit bringing insight, wisdom, revelation. It means one who speaks for another. Prophets speak the mind and heart of the Lord. They preach and prophesy, but they also bring perspective to the leadership group, to the leadership form. You know, I, I know we need to, but I feel the Lord saying, you know, I just feel this is more important or whatever. You know, they, 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 it, you know, they, this kind of like they, they're hearing the words of God, they're feeling the heart of God. We need that input because we don't want to be just practical and pragmatic. We want to be pleasing God. 
They may also be people who are particularly enabled by the Holy Spirit in signs and wonders, and so can be apostles when they're in that church, that groundbreaking church-planting mode of work. That's when signs and wonders... Signs and wonders, by the way, don't happen for our entertainment. They They happen on the breaking edge of the kingdom of God, where God is advancing into new territory with the gospel. That's where signs and wonders take place. They're the front line of the gospel. God doesn't put them on to impress us, his children. Evangelists are those who preach the gospel, but they don't just faithfully preach it. They have a remarkable gift from God to lead people to faith. We used to joke that an evangelist can stand up and say, Mary had a little lamb, give an appeal and people will get saved, because there's enough truth in there somehow. They're very rarely Bible teachers. They're people who just preach the simple things about Christ, but with, a, with an authority that, com- that almost kind of commands people to believe. I, I, I've seen evangelists do it and think, how did he do that? But it's how God made him. It's how God has gifted that person. They don't just preach, they call to faith, and it happens. Because that is what God, how God works in and through them. Philip in the book of Acts was an evangelist. It clearly says that in the book of Acts. Pastors uh, are shepherds, overseers, guardians of the flock. The, flock. the Greek word there is poimen. It literally means shepherd. just means shepherd. Elders in the New Testament are shepherds. And I don't see eldership as being separate from being a pastor. In fact, in the time and language of the New Testament, these words are all the same. They're synonymous. They mean the same thing, talking about the same people. Elder, pastor, overseer, and bishop. They are the same thing. Whatever difference has been made in centuries since is really not my concern. I'm a, I'm a Bible man. That's what the Bible says. Those people are the, the, all of those things because it's describing the role. They oversee, they shepherd, they, 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 they're, they're the older ones or the respected ones. So that's what pastors are. Teachers. Some say pastors and teachers is one thing. I'm not too troubled whether it's four or five. I'll leave that alone. The Greek word is didaskalos, which interestingly is what Jesus was called by his disciples. When they said teacher or master, they were using that word. They were using that word. Teacher, master. It's those with particular skill in scripture, systematic teaching and communication. They proclaim, explain, defend the truth. And they also train the children of God, the Church of Christ, in the truth. They show them how to read their Bibles, how to study, and so on. All of these are job descriptions, not titles. You know, you can put someone in a chicken house, call them a chicken, and they can clock all their life, but it doesn't make them a chicken. (laughs) Sticking a label on somebody doesn't make them the label. You can call someone an apostle. He's not that unless the Lord's made him to be that, unless he's able to do that, because God's with him in that. There's no hierarchy or career path in these things. Well, I start out as a pastor, but one day maybe I'll get promoted to be a prophet, and then maybe I'll get promoted to be an apostle. I know some churches organize their, their structure like that. I, it's not there, folks. That's not what he's saying here. It's no, this isn't the career path. You don't start at one end and get promoted through it. Prophets and evangelists in this list are not just prophetic or evangelistic people. They're people who lead and oversee and train so the whole body, all the saints, learn to be, in some measure, evangelistic and prophetic. The same could be said of the others too. 
Now, I know the Lord Jesus used this negatively about false prophets and false teachers. But this is what he said. By their fruits, you shall know them. If you're going to discern false ones, you're going to discern the true ones as well. By their fruits. Which is two things. By the work they produce and by the character they show. And both are important. You will know a real prophet, a real evangelist, a real apostle, a real pastor or teacher by their fruit. God works in and through them to produce fruit. Without evidence of God's work done through them, the label, if they've got a label, is worthless. You can wear a badge or print a business card or promote yourself on the internet and claim a label for yourself, but the proof is in the fruit. Work done, good character showed. And by the way, one day the works will be gone, but the character remains. Character is more important than charisma, than gift. The first three, apostles, prophets, and evangelists, may operate in a wider sphere than one local church. Yet I believe the biblical pattern is they, they should be based in a local church. They should be part of and accountable to the church leadership team in that church. Peter traveled from Jerusalem, came back, reported to the, to the apostles and elders. He wasn't the leader of the church in Jerusalem. James, the brother of Jesus, was. James, the brother of Jesus, was the senior leader, the senior elder in Jerusalem. Peter worked from Jerusalem, came back. Paul and Barnabas worked from Antioch, went all around the Gentiles, came back, reported to their brothers. They were part of the leadership team in Antioch, being sent from the leadership team to come back to the leadership team. That is how I believe these ministries' leadership functions should work. The last two... uh, Pastors and teachers, or if it's one thing, are local church-centered. Though, of course, able teachers, particularly nowadays, may reach beyond their local church with books, published sermons, and, of course, the Internet. Um, we get little kind of emails every now and again from people who've listened to lighthouse sermons on the Internet. In India, and well, Pakistan was one of them, and, and, and Philippines, and Kenya. And it's like, Really? And then they want me to go there. I think, <laughs> you know, you, God can't be in all those requests, can he? So I've got to figure out which one he is in. Anyway. Not many are given by Christ to be leaders, though many wish to become leaders. Paul says if someone aspires to the office of an overseer or a bishop, he's looking for a good thing, but... These are the qualifications, and besides this, he's got to be able to teach and shepherd, and you know, he's, got to, he's got to have the capacity to do those things. You know, there's a culture of Christian leadership, and I, I, I get kind of invitations to go to kind of leadership conferences, not as a speaker, you know, but they want me to pay the money and go to the... And I look at it and think, do I need another kind of... <laughs> about leadership? I sometimes get weary with leadership. Not doing it, but hearing about it. There's a culture of Christian leadership and some people seek what they perceive as status and power and even a regular income. I won't really have to work, I'll be a pastor. Okay. A little brief admission here. There are days when I wish I was still an accountant. Life was easy. We are warned in Scripture not to grasp at leadership. It comes with responsibility, with accountability, with a particular judgment. James 3, verse 1. Not many should become teachers, and teachers includes other preaching, teaching gifts. 
my brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. Hey, I want to be a teacher. You want to queue up for a stricter assessment by the Lord? That's what it is. For we all stumble in many ways. Please don't imagine that public ministry, leading, preaching, and that so on, will attract a greater reward at the last day. It actually gets a more severe, stricter assessment at the last day. Jesus said that. And he even said there'll be those who say, didn't we do this in your name and that in your name, but yet but there was some... No, he said, you know, never knew. Christ makes and gives leaders to his church. Maybe not as many as people think he does. He's made them for that role, equipped them with skills, calls them and empowers them by the Spirit. They don't arrive fully prepared. They have to grow in experience and develop their skills. In the end, character matters more than the gift. The Lord assesses and rewards not what he gave us, but how we, how we did with it. Remember the parables of the servants? Those who did well get what? Good, well done, good and faithful servant. Whether they had ten, five, one talents, as we've now. It's interesting. Talents were a coin, but because of the King James talked about talents, people don't talk about talents, and the words switched over to mean you know Britain's got talent. <laughs> what do these leaders do? Well, David, they've got to build a church and they've got to do all the work. And, you know, they're the ministry. You're going into the... I remember when I was 18 and going up to Bible College. You're going into the ministry. I went, the what? <laughs> you know, even as I'm heading this way, I'm going, what? What, what do you mean? What, what, what's that? He's going off to do the work of the Lord, you know, and live by faith, which means not have any money. That's the way many people think, isn't it? Christian leaders are there to do all the work of the Lord, evangelizing, teaching, encouraging, correcting, shepherding, pastoring. That is not what Scripture here says. Let's pick it up at verse 12. The function of all those kinds of leadership, four or five, depending on how you look at them, and I'm not bothered really, because sometimes people are a mix of different things there anyway. The reason Christ personally gives such leaders to his church is so that the saints are trained for the work of ministry. The leaders don't do the ministry, they train you to do the ministry. That's what scripture says. That's not how I heard it when I was much younger, that's not what people expected. Even today there's an old school thinking which slides past the scripture and assumes whatever needs doing for the Lord is what the full-time pastor or church worker should be doing. Let me read to you a, a quote from R.C. Sproul, who went to be with the Lord fairly recently, a great uh, American Bible scholar. Somehow, somewhere, an idea emerged and became very popular in the Christian community, so popular, in fact, that it's now become almost an ironclad tradition. It is that the ministry of the church is to be done by the paid, professional, theologically trained clergy. According to this view, the whole purpose of the laity, the rest, is to receive the benefits of ministry in terms of preaching, counselling, comfort, and those other things that we seek to provide in the church. But the reason why certain gifts are given for leadership is to equip the believers for ministry. The church is to be a mobilised army. 
So here's some headlines for you. The purpose of leadership is to develop ministry. Not just apostles making more apostles. The prophets making more prophets. But to release in all of God's people all of their talents. All of their giftings. These different kinds of leadership are given by the Lord so the whole church, the body of Christ, are trained and equipped for works of service. And it's more important that the job gets done than whether you do it or it was your gift that was used. Because we're in this together. I mean, everybody, you know, goal scorer, goal scorer. It takes 11 men to play football, last time I checked. And, and you know, the, 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 the centre forward won't score any goals unless there's other people who are not as skilled as him, but nevertheless are the people who pass the ball like a really. Do you understand? Every one of us is called to the work of the Lord. A couple of different translations of that phrase. For the work of the ministry. For the perfecting of the saints to labour in their appointed service. Said two Victorian translators, Connie Brownhauser. Farrah Fenton, another Victorian translator. For the training of the holy in useful work. I like that. To train the holy. That's you. All of us. In useful work. So I need again to visit this word ministry. It's much understood and misused. It simply means service. And all Christians serve. And minister. Christian leaders are to example serving and train others to serve. But ministry belongs to the whole body of Christ, not some leadership class. And I reject totally the, the separation of clergy from laity, even though Elim tends to do that a bit. I, I'm one of those who fights against it, right? We are all called to the work of the Lord. You comfortable? <laughs> Look at this scripture. See if this unseats you a bit. 1 Corinthians 15. Anybody know what 1 Corinthians 15 is the whole chapter is about? Come on, you Bible readers. 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection of the dead. Okay. <laughs> the resurrection of the dead. That's what 1 Corinthians is about. It, last verse. 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my dear brothers, and he's not talking to the leaders, he's talking to the whole church. Be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. Why? Because you have this hope, a future life, resurrection from the dead. Knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What you're doing isn't, going, isn't wasted. He'll, he'll reward it. He'll commend it at the last day at the resurrection. That scripture is addressed to all of us. Everyone who's going to be raised by the dead is one of Christ's people at their last day. To every one of them, you, brothers, sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always overflowing in the work of the Lord. Knowing your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The work of the ministry is the work of the church, the saints, the children of God. We must, like Jesus said when he was 13 in Jerusalem, remember, I must be about my father's business. Every one of us needs to be about our Father's business. The work of the Lord is not the work of the leaders, but the work of the whole body. So let me spell this out a bit more for you. And here's where you might not like where I'm going. Tomorrow morning, Monday. Tomorrow morning, when you start your day. Whether you travel to a workplace or at home, perhaps raising your family, I'm going to tell you what you're doing. 
on the basis of scripture, you are about your father's business. Right where you are. You're fulfilling his calling. You're pursuing his mission. You are a son and heir of God in Jesus. Busy about your father's business. Whatever it is you're doing. You're a priest of the Most High. Do you believe with me that the New Testament opens up priesthood to all believers? There's no mediator between us and God, only Jesus. There's no one who's over you in that sense of, you know, they control you and, you know, whatever else. But you are a priest of the Most High God. You represent him to people so that the way you speak to them and what you speak to them and the way you are with them, the works you do, are prophetically impacting them from God. And you represent people to God in prayer. So in your workplace or in your family, wherever you are, you can be praying for people. You know, you kind of duck away as you're making tea. Sort them out, Lord. You're praying. And then you go back in with renewed energy to represent the Lord. You're an ambassador of Christ Jesus. You may feel like you're living in foreign turf where you work. That's fine, you're an ambassador there. Christ has put you there to serve. You're a servant of the Lord. You see, let me say this about us Christians. We don't get to choose whether we serve the Lord. We do. We just do it well or we don't. Every one of us is a servant of the Lord. The, choice, the question is, the choice is whether I do it well. Whether I'm one of those who will be commended or one of those who will be ticked off at the last day for not having done well. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So you don't play by everybody else's rules because you know your rules, you know your priorities, you know your principles. You're a citizen of heaven. And the work... I wish I'd put this up on a screen to spell it out. Let me listen to me. The work in your hands is the work of the Lord. Cooking, raising children. It is the work of the Lord. And I can give you scripture, more scripture on that. It says, whatever you do, Whatever falls into your hands to do, do it with all your heart to glorify God. It's the work of the Lord. So complaining kind of gets to be a bit awkward now, doesn't it? Because this is work that he's delegated to me. That includes me, all right, you know. God really doesn't like complaining at all. He used to kill people for it, so we better be careful about this. And when you engage, perhaps in your workplace or whatever, with those who do not yet believe, you are the Lord's servant to them. To say whatever he speaks to you, to do whatever he shows you. To live like Jesus amongst unbelieving people. You're his chosen vessel and vehicle to carry and communicate the glory of the great God. You're the citizen of heaven who's there to explain and example his kingdom. What the Lord Jesus gave us to be and to do as his church was not to fill the land with religious buildings, 
or build an organization of managers and the managed, the leaders and the rest, but to raise generation after generation of disciples who make disciples. Those were his instructions. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. What do they do? They do the same. They go into all the world, they preach the gospel, they make disciples. Generation after generation. Good Christian leadership doesn't control ministry, how people serve and what they get involved in, but trains and releases works of service, both within the church community and out there in the world. The diverse ways in which we serve in the church and in the world will need oversight and direction, like an orchestra needs a conductor. But, and team, you know, every team of service needs a team leader, someone who's overseeing and caring for those, making sure they don't get burned out because they're so committed to the cause. It's like, hey, you need a rest, man. Because <laughs> I care for you as my friend, my brother, my sister. You know, I don't want you to get burned out here. People should be encouraged to work in teams rather than do their own thing, pursuing their own personal ministry. Because we all need companionship and friendship and openness and accountability and being, being able to be taught. We can all improve. We can all learn. The body of Christ is built up not just when leaders do a good job, but when every member plays their part. The world is impacted with the gospel, not when a few people do mass evangelism or run TV channels, but when every believer in all of their works of life are faithful witnesses by life and by actions. And the world, a very needing, complicated, hurting world, is served when the Church of Christ work together in teams and groups of people, often even across a number of churches to meet the needs of our broken society. And now comes the advert. Not just about the lighthouse. On Saturday the 12th of May, here in our building, there will be five or six charities in Harlow who are Christian-led, and many of them are actually you know, managed and, and volunteer-staffed by Christians too including Harlow Street Passes, which uh, I've, uh, I wouldn't have a long involvement with Colin too and others as well of you. you. We're going to put up some tables around the room and there'll be at the back teas and coffees and free cakes as well. Is that an incitement to come? So between 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock on Saturday the 12th of May, we will have opportunities to serve. Drop-in time here at KCC. So people can come and say... I'd like to work with the homeless and we think can find out what streets the homeless do. I'd like to work with Food Bank and maybe the Bounty Club which picks up food from the food people over in the, the Pinnacles and so on and gets that out to needy places, to, to like breakfast clubs that schools run. Breakfast clubs use food that's donated for free from some of the food suppliers in Harlow. We're just shifting it around so it gets used within the town. Help uh, needy families get fed through Food Bank. Uh, schools work... Uh, street pastors, we need more volunteers into street pastors as well. There'll be stalls out. It'll be, you know, how many of you have been to a conference, an expo, you know, and everybody's kind of wanting to give you their business card and draw you into chat? There'll be at least six places where that happens, but there'll be free tea and coffee and cakes as well. And just come and be here and find out if there's something you could begin as a Christian with other Christians in Harlow, begin to do part time, not, you know, every week, whatever, maybe you could do some to serve your community. And we do it because we together, all Christians, all churches in Harlow, have a commitment to see God's kingdom extending in this town.
and people being served for the Lord's sake. Now, if it starts to be not for the Lord's sake, I'm the, one of the first people to get concerned about it. But that's happening, 12th of May. Dropping. But ministry, get, getting, doing things, serving people, helping people, prophesying, washing feet, washing dishes, whatever it is, and there really is no difference in God's terms between whether you're washing dishes or you're washing feet or you're prophesying. We think there is, but he doesn't. The purpose of ministry is to develop maturity. Here it is in Ephesians 4.12. To build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. Growing into mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. And that's speaking of us together, but with us together includes us individually. I want to say this. You, there, there are ways in which you will not grow and you will not mature unless you are committed to serving. Unless you're getting a bit busy and getting your hands a bit dirty somewhere along the way. Serving others. It's, it, it's, it's a humbling thing and it's a growing thing. You learn how to be with people. You learn how to deal with people. You learn how to humble your heart when it's there and sip your mouth. But on the other hand, open your mouth and say something that needs saying. Ministry serving leads to maturity. The, and individual maturity, but also the maturity of the church, the body of Christ. It's described in these few phrases, to build up the core of Christ until we all reach two things, unity in the faith, the knowledge of God's Son. We think we know Jesus when, we, when, we're, when we're serving him practically, when, we, we, when we're seeing everything we're doing as being the work of the Lord. We, we get to know Jesus a whole lot more. You know, that, that thing that people put on their wrist, WWJD, what would Jesus do? It begins to be, wow, well, now I need to know what he's... Right now, I need to figure out what would Jesus do, because I've got to do it. Or I'm just reverting to being a little old me doing my little old thing. The knowledge of God's Son, growing into mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Without such truth-grounded leadership described here in Ephesians 4, 11 and so on, the church will not come to maturity. The church must be built upon the rock of God's word. But without love and service, the church will not come to maturity either. Because how do we become more like our master Jesus except by doing the things he did? That's how we grow up into his stature. Now there's a warning here on false, on fads and false teachers. Then we will no longer be little children. We all go, ah, baby, ah, little children. The Bible goes, grow up. We, we, you know, we, we, we kind of delight in little children. I love, I love little kids. When, when the Bible says little children, it's not usually giving you a pat on the back, it's giving you a pat on the bottom. Grow up. We will no longer be little children trussed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. Immature Christians are not necessarily new or young Christians. It's those who haven't grown up. And here it says it's those who can't resist each wind of doctrine. The latest fad preacher, the latest fad book, the latest prophetic word. They're fads. So these immature believers are not grounded in the biblical and theological convictions which good leadership in preaching and teaching should have given them. They should have known. You know, when you, when you candle the real thing, you smell the wrong stuff. If we are one of those Christians who's blown by the breeze of the latest fad, this year's prophetic word, you know, the book of the prayer of Jabez that was out years ago, or whatever, 
Just do you know what the Bible says here? We're children. We're immature. Here comes another one. Whoa, I'm going to go with that one. Whoa, whoa, here's another one. Whoa. Here's what I've learned over the years. All fads fade. They come and they go. You can wait them out. The solid, orthodox truth of God's word remains. As long as I stay faithful to God's word, I don't need to change much. All right? The fads will go. I've seen them. All kinds of things. I've been told as a Christian leader, you know, by those around me and whatever, we all need to do this. And I think, really? Five years later, do I even hear about this? Five years later, who's talking about it? If we follow fads, we're immature. That's what the Bible says here. No, no, I'm not trying to claim to be the only mature guy around, all right? I'm just, I'm just cynical. I think, I think that's another fad. I'll, I'll, I'll wait. I'll see if it lasts. I'll give it three years. Yeah? All fads fade. But as well as fads, there's a more serious falsehood at work. False teachers have plagued the church since the epistles are being written, just as Jesus predicted. It says here, human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. One version says, tricked by the slight of men, led astray by the snares of the cunning. The amount of so-called Christian TV output that is actually good and solid is really, in my opinion, very small. And there are people on TV channels and there are people now, literally now, here at work in Harlow, who are deliberately using human cunning, trickery, and cleverness, craftiness in their techniques and their methods to deceive people. To gather them in and take their money from them and so on. Paul uses some of those same words later in Ephesians chapter 6 to talk about the devil himself. That trickery, that sleight of hand thing. See, false teachers know how to hype. They know how to preach what you want to hear, prophesy what will tickle your ears. They know the things that work to gather a crowd. But all false apostles, prophets and teachers will in time face judgment from God. But instead of speaking what is false and being deceitful, we are to do what? Speak the truth in love. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way unto him who is the head, Christ. Just as false teaching and deceit and trickery go together, so truth and love and honesty also go together. Jesus, John calls it grace and truth. Now, some people want us to sacrifice truth for the sake of being loving. Oh, we can't say that because it's not so kind. Others are ungracious and wield the truth like a weapon against people. The Bible says. And there's no graciousness. There's no humility. There's no care in the way it's being said. Here's what John Stott says, old Bible teacher. Truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. You don't hide the truth. You don't dumb down the truth. You don't apologize for the truth. You speak the truth, but in love with graciousness. That's what it says. And the truth is, not just things that are generally true, but the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word. 
the, 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 the holiness of his law and so on. And when we speak the truth in love, and by the way, people come up to you, I mean, no one's done it to me for many, many, many years, but back in the old days, back when there were kind of, you know, anyway, people would come up to me, have done years ago, and said, in love, brother, I need to say this to you. <laughs> and then I got hit with a hand grenade, you know? In love. Listen, in love doesn't mean it's in love. It just means you're trying to, you're trying to you know, absolve yourself from any responsibility for your attitude. Yeah? yeah? Yes. Just do it, don't say it. You know, just, just be gracious and loving. One of the best ways to, to, to get something out to somebody I've found of these is to ask questions. Do you think that's good? Do you think that's right? You, know? you question. You ask leading questions, open questions. And so guide people to the truth. Jesus did it. This speaking the truth in love causes the church to grow in every way into him who is the head. Growth in quantity and in quality. Growth in every way. Understanding of the truth. Devotion to Jesus. Love, wisdom, care, service, prayer, teaching, discipleship. If we abandon speaking the truth in love, I believe we will have to accept that the hand of the Lord will no longer be with us. But even maturity... I've got to hurry up. We're nearly out of time. The purpose of maturity is... is the growth and unity of the body of Christ. Even maturity is an end of itself. You know, oh, we're a very mature church now, you see, so we'll just be self-content. We're good. It was a thin tendency in the 1970s and into the 1980s. People thought if they could identify someone for their church who was their apostle and their prophet and their evangelist and their teacher and pastors and teachers, then where are the, the bee's knees? Where are the real deal? Really? You watch that senior leader fall to immorality a few years, years later. You know, no, 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 no. We were nowhere near mature. We just had a full list of labels. Maturity must lead to the unity and growth of the body of Christ. So here's the last verse. Paul goes back to his picture of the body of Christ. Christ is the body. In fact, he's even the head, which rules and reigns over the body. But we are individually members. We have a place of belonging. And a place of function, a role to play. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. I need to wrap this up. Healthy things grow. I'm a bit of a gardener, I can tell you that. Unhealthy things decline and decay. And sometimes they're so unhealthy, nothing you can do will save it. Look at this description of a healthy, mature church. Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of Jesus. Attaining to the fullness of Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Growing up into Christ, the head of the body. It's an infrastructure of joint and supporting bones and ligaments and muscles which can then support sustained growth, still in love. Sustained development of increased strength and new infrastructure is needed. They, they, can, they can adapt, they can, they can plant out, they can change the way they do things because they're growing. And each part of the body doing its work. As well as having gifts by which we serve one another, we need to have connections between us, supporting ligaments that knit and hold us together. The very idea I've got my little ministry, I need to do my thing, is, I think, foreign to the language of Scripture. 
Every one of us needs to belong, not just to the body of Christ in general, but have a place of connection to his body somewhere in particular. We need real connections, real relationships, real partnership. Those connections even promote the growth of the body. Interesting, Paul talks about the ligaments, the connections. What does a connection do? Well, it's just a connection, but it promotes growth. It helps things to happen. We build each other up in love. We each play our full appropriate role in the body of Christ, which may be a role within the church or out from the church. That's the mission of the church, to be Jesus in this world, to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth, to do such good works that people glorify our Father in heaven for his grace and wisdom and power at work in and through us. What is your part in all this? What has he gifted you to be and to do? Please don't strike out on your own to do your own thing, your ministry. Seek to find connections that will find you working and partnering with others. We will always accomplish more together than alone because that is God's plan. It's his design. Having different gifts, we work and serve together for his glory and the good of others. You see, love and honour and humility and service are not things God invented for us. They are things within himself, things within the Trinity. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Spirit loves the Father and the Son, the Son serves the Father, the Spirit serves the Son and the Father. They honour, there's honour and there's humility and there's service and there's deference within the Trinity. How much more then should that, that be true amongst us? We're becoming like our master Jesus, taking on the image of our Father. So mutual love, mutual service, mutual honour that exists within the Godhead needs to exist more and more within the community of the saints. One last scripture for you, then we'll break bread together. Just going to read the scripture, and then we'll pray and break bread. You need to know something about yourself. You need to let other people in, maybe tell you a bit about what they see in you in terms of gifting or ability as well. Okay? That, that's to be said. Based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. It's all grace. The gift you've received, the way you handle it, what you do with it to help others, it's all grace. If anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we gather to the table that you, in that sense, laid out for us, simple things, emblems of bread and wine, which in turn remind us of your body and your blood. We need to acknowledge again today, Lord Jesus, the things that you say about us and you say over us. This great calling that we've received, that we're to walk worthy of. And the calling trickles down into every part of our lives. There is not one bit of what we do day by day which you do not want to call holy. There's not one bit of the things that we regard as our work and maybe our duty and even our chore which you don't want us to see as being your work that we do for your sake. 
You call us to ministry, to service. To those close to us, in the home, to those who we work amongst and for, to the body of Christ, our fellow Christians, and then to the wider world, people out there who don't even know us, but we can go and do something to help them because we are believers in Jesus. You call us to these things. And you equip us for them. And we are to take our rest and we're to take our recreation, but most days of the week, Lord Jesus, like you, we need to be about our Father's business. I pray that we might receive from those who lead us the encouragement, the direction, the tools to help us to serve you well. For there is not one of us who cannot potentially hear on the last day, well done, good and faithful servant. We aspire to it. We live in hope of the glory of God. As we break bread now, we thank you again for the atonement, for every gift of grace that comes to us through the cross. Truly, Lord Jesus, you have paid it all. Nothing comes to us at a cost to us. We bless you and thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.